have a question for you this morning. How many of you have ever been disappointed? I'm disappointed because everybody didn't raise their hand. Listen to this story. There was a man who walked over to the perfume counter at a department store and told the sales clerk, I'd like a bottle of Chanel No. 5 for my wife's birthday. The clerk responded, a little surprise, huh? You bet, answered the customer. She's expecting a cruise. <laughs> we all experience disappointment in life. Sometimes we're disappointed because of the birthday gift that we receive. Sometimes we're disappointed with our job, with our income, with our marriage, with our family. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we're disappointed with ourselves. There are all kinds of disappointments we experience in life, but this morning I want to focus on one particular disappointment, and it's this, being disappointed with God's answer to your prayers. And here's a question we're going to consider today. What can we do when we're disappointed with God's answer to our prayers? And church, this morning I want us to be real. I want us to be honest, because this is something that affects all of us. Over the years that I've been a pastor, there's been a continuing conversation with people who come to me and say, Pastor Dudley, I prayed that I would get well, but I didn't. I prayed that my marriage wouldn't fall apart, but it did. I prayed so hard that God would protect my children, but they made bad choices anyway. What do you do when you're disappointed with God's answer to your prayers? Let me begin with this observation. The source of all of the disappointments in our life is simply this, unmet expectations. When what you expect doesn't match what you experience, you become disappointed. And that's certainly true when it comes to prayer. And I believe there are two really important things we can do to deal with our disappointment with prayer. And this is the first, adjust our expectations according to Scripture. Adjust our expectations according to Scripture. And let me say this, if you're a believer this morning, you've decided to follow Jesus, I hope this message will, will be a good reminder of when you pray, what you can and should expect God to do in response to your prayers. If you're somebody who's just checking Christianity out, you've got a lot of questions, um, you're a spiritual seeker, I'm really glad you're here. Because this will be an opportunity to kind of shape the expectations you can have if you decide to follow Jesus. And today, if you're just honestly a bit skeptical or even cynical about prayer, I hope this will be an opportunity to really explore what the Bible says about this topic of God answering our prayers. Now, when it comes to adjusting our expectations according to Scripture, there's a very compelling and powerful story in the Gospel of Luke. It's in chapter 24. And let me set the story up for you. Jesus has died, and he's come back to life. But not everybody knows. And these two disciples are walking along the road. And if you were there on the scene, you would notice that, well, their shoulders are slumped. They're shuffling along. Their heads are down. Things had not turned out the way they expected. They expected Jesus to be this political leader, this hero, this Messiah that was going to set their nation free from the oppression of the Roman Empire. But now, Jesus is dead, and so are their dreams. Their dreams of freedom, their dreams of a new life. And as they walk along, they're joined by this strange visitor. Jesus, as I said, has come back to life, but they don't know that, and they don't recognize him. And so Jesus begins to engage them in conversation and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And, and they go, well, are you, are you a, 
guy from out of town, don't you know what's been happening here in Jerusalem? This man named Jesus who came from Nazareth, he was a, a powerful preacher and a miracle worker, and they killed him. And they went on to say this, this is in Luke 24, the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. And notice this next statement, but we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You can almost hear the disappointment in those words. Things had not turned out the way we expected. See, they expected Jesus to be Rambo and instead they got Mr. Rogers. At least that's what they thought. They were looking for a political savior and God sent a spiritual one. And because their expectations were unmet, they were deeply disappointed. Now what about us? Have you ever felt discouraged or disappointed because you prayed really hard and things did not turn out the way you expected? How does Jesus deal with the disappointment, with the discouragement of these disciples? Well, notice he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, notice this, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus walks them through the Old Testament to reset their expectations of who he is and what it means to follow him. And there's such an important principle here. Whenever we're disappointed with life or disappointed with ourselves or disappointed with prayer, we need to adjust our expectations according to what? You can tell me, according to what? Yeah, scripture, according to the Bible. And I want to give you some adjustments to our thinking, some ways that we can change some of our expectations. And these come from scripture. And here's the first. Do not expect God to give you an easy life in response to your prayers. Now, this is a revelation to some people. What do you mean? I, I thought I was supposed to pray for an easy life because that's what I signed up for when I said I would follow Jesus. They expect all these problems and all these pressures and all this trouble. There's a, a quote that I shared with our staff this past Tuesday morning at our staff meeting. It's from a book called Soul Keeping by Pastor John Ortberg. It's really a passage that resets our expectations when it comes to the kind of life that we should expect. Listen carefully. He says this, in the Bible, God never gives anyone an easy job. God never comes to Abraham or Moses or Esther and says, I'd like for you to do me a favor, but it really shouldn't take much time. I certainly wouldn't want to inconvenience you. God does not recruit like someone from the PTA. He is always intrusive and demanding. He says we should expect the world will be a hard place and that our assignments will be hard. The Bible does use the word easy once, though. It came from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Easy is a soul word, not a circumstance word, not an assignment word. Aim at having easy circumstances and your life will be hard all around. Aim at having an easy soul, and your capacity for tackling hard assignments will actually grow. Now listen carefully. The soul was not made for an easy life. The soul was made for an easy yoke. How many people are disappointed in prayer because they're constantly asking God for this kind of life? But what they experience is this kind of life. 
or this kind of life. Listen, when Jesus says, follow me, he is not inviting us to board a cruise ship. He's calling us to board a battleship. We live in a world where there are kingdoms in conflict. In fact, before Jesus went to the cross, he said this to his disciples, to set their expectations, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is remarkable. Has Jesus gone to the cross yet? When he makes his statement? No, he hasn't. Has he been raised from the dead? No, none of these things have happened, and yet he has the audacity to say, I have overcome the world. Why? Because Jesus is looking down the corridors of time, and he knows exactly how God's plan is going to be fulfilled. And that's so important for us to understand. There was a, a dad who came home from work, and it was just before dinner. He found his five-year-old daughter out on the sidewalk sitting by herself, and she was not smiling. And he asked, um, what's wrong, honey? And she said, all day long, I've been having trouble. And he said, with who? And she said, with your wife. <laughs> Anybody have any trouble this week? Not with your wife or your mom, but... Yeah, that's just the way life is, isn't it? We all run into trouble and heartache and disappointment. People let us down. Things don't turn out the way we expected. And even though we know this, sometimes it is so hard not to be what? disappointed and that's true when it comes to prayer as well let me ask you this when Jesus was arrested do you think the disciples prayed that he would be released now there's nothing specifically in the Bible that tells us that but I was thinking about that this week when Jesus was arrested don't you think it would be entirely natural for the disciples to pray hey God would you please set Jesus free or what about this? When Jesus is being beaten to within an inch of his life, do you think the disciples said, God, would you please stop this? It would seem natural for them to cry out to God. Doesn't that make sense? And I thought, what about Saturday? I mean, maybe they were so discouraged and disappointed they didn't even pray at all. But then comes Sunday, and everything changes. Because Jesus defeated death. Jesus rises from the dead and Jesus accomplishes God's purpose for his life. And friends, that truth points out something else we need to expect. Expect God to use the problems in your life to accomplish his purpose. God did that in Jesus' life and he does it in the life of every single person who follows Christ. Now think about these, these Bible verses Bible characters described in the Old Testament and in, and in the New Testament as well. Could, could God have kept Daniel out of the lion's den? Of course he could. Could God have kept um, Joseph from being sold into slavery by his brothers? Yeah, could he have kept the Apostle Paul from being stoned and left for dead? Of course he could. But why didn't he? Because God was using those circumstances to accomplish his what? His purpose. And that's true with us as well. Listen, trouble can bring us to our knees. And when we're on our knees, we can pray. And as we pray, we're pressed closer to the heart of God. And as we're pressed closer to the heart of God, our heart becomes more like His. 
which is God's ultimate purpose for us. And again, we need to adjust our expectations according to what? Scripture, to the Bible. Now, this is a verse that many people are familiar with, Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know that in all things, God worked for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. This week, Billy Graham, a man who was used by God to do incredible things, died at the age of 99. How many of you saw any of the um, coverage of his life on TV, some of the interviews? I was watching one the other day, and Franklin Graham, his son, was being interviewed, and the interviewer said this, um, how would you describe your father's legacy? And Franklin Graham said, from the 1940s to the 1990s, he faithfully breached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought, what an incredible legacy. And in that moment, I prayed and said, God, I pray that that will be my legacy too. That for however many days or years you give me, that I will be faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was so encouraging because I've seen Franklin Graham do this before. After he said that, he started sharing the gospel with the person who was interviewing him. On TV, on national television. And what was so interesting is that in this segment, they had set it up by showing these film clips of Billy Graham preaching. And every single clip was basically Billy Graham saying, God loves you. God has an incredible love for you. And so Franklin Graham said, well, that's only part of the story. And I thought, this is incredible because Franklin Graham understands that you can't appreciate the good news until you understand what? The bad news. And he says, you're, you're going to stand before God, Almighty God, one day. And he is going to call you to give an account for your life because this God is not just a God of love, he's a God of justice. And that really is the heart of the gospel. It starts with who God is, that God is holy. And because we're sinners, we're separated from God. Every single one of us. And because God is just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And that punishment is to die and to be separated from God for how long? For all of eternity. I mean, that's really bad news. And it gets even worse because we can't do anything to save ourselves. But Franklin Graham was so quick to add, God really, really loves you. And he quoted a verse. It's actually Jesus who said, For God so loved the world. Do you know that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal what? Eternal life. And that is the story of the gospel that God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus and Jesus lives a perfect life which uniquely qualifies him to die as our substitute and so on the cross, God's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve for our sins poured out on Christ and he dies the death that we deserve. And then God does what? He raises him to life to prove that he accepts his son's payment on our behalf. And Jesus invites people to follow him, to have a new life. So how do you sign up to follow Jesus? You admit that you're a sinner. You know, Jesus had a very simple message. He said, repent and believe the good news. To repent is to change your mind, to change your heart. Instead of running from God, you run to God. And that's what you do when you follow Jesus. You turn your heart toward God. You believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. The one who died, not just for the sins of the world, but for your sins. And you choose to follow him. And when that happens, God adopts you into his family. You become a son, a daughter of God. God is now your father, and you have inherited all the promises of God. And that's so important because this, this verse in Romans 8 is a promise for who? It's for Christians. It's for people who have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And we know that in all things, does that include prayer? Of course it does. 
In all things, including prayer, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And here's what that means when it comes to prayer and what you can expect. No matter how God answers your prayer, he might say yes, he might say no. He might say not yet. He might say grow up before I answer your prayer. No matter how God answers your prayers, you can expect this. His answer will accomplish his purpose for your life which is to become more like Jesus. Now, here's something else that we can expect when it comes to prayer. Expect God to answer your prayers in his time and in his way. Every parent who's ever taken a trip with a small child knows that there is this universal question that children ask when they are traveling. And this question has to do with the gap between what the child expects and what the child is experiencing. And, of course, that, that question from the back seat of the car is what? See, so you know it. Are we there yet? And the implication is, I thought we should have arrived by now. This is taking longer than I expected. Have you ever said that to God? Are we there yet, God? This is taking longer than I expected. I thought I would have had a best friend by now. I thought I would have been married by now. I thought I would have had a child by now or another child by now. I, I, God, I thought my marriage would be fixed by now. God, I thought you would have healed me by now. But God, I'm still waiting for an answer. And because I'm still waiting, I am really disappointed. Notice this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ takes place according to God's timetable. Sometimes we're so familiar with the story, we just kind of pass over that. But Jesus is not raised from the dead in a few hours, is he? He's not raised to life on the first day or the second day. When is he raised to life? On the third day. And friends, in the same way, the events in your life and my life will unfold according to God's timetable. And that's true of prayer. God's answers to your prayer will unfold in his way and in his time. There's a, a book in the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk. Now, I want to encourage you to read this very short but powerful book. Just three chapters. Because when you get home to heaven, you're probably going to run into Habakkuk and he'll ask you if you read his book. I want you to be able to tell the truth and say, oh yeah, I read it, it's really good. <laughs> so you may need to go home and read it today. But listen, there's so much in that book about prayer. In fact, it starts in chapter one with Habakkuk really complaining to God. And he says this, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. He's just pouring out his heart to God. So what does God say? He says, I'm going to do something in your day, Habakkuk, that you would not believe even if you were told. And then in a twist of irony, God proceeds to tell him what he's going to do. And then you get to chapter 2, and God says this. And I want you to just really think about these words and how they apply to your life and to your prayers. God says to Habakkuk, these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely. The time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Does that reset some of our expectations about prayer? Well, absolutely. God said, I'm going to answer in my time and in my way. And I'm convinced that one of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity is this, being patient. Is it hard to be patient when you pray and wait? Shake your head like this. No, it's not. 
but it sure does build our faith and build our character. And I love what, what God says. What I'm going to do will not be overdue a single day. God is always on time. See, God doesn't operate on Eastern Standard Time or Central Time or Mountain Time or Pacific Time. God operates on his own time. God operates within the scope of eternity. And realize this. God has all eternity to carry out his plans. God has all of eternity to carry out his plans. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that prayers that I've been praying for years and even decades may not be answered in my lifetime. But it doesn't mean they won't be answered. They could be answered in the next generation or the one after that if Jesus doesn't come back. And I was thinking this week, how many of you like to garden? How many of you like to plant stuff and watch it grow? Think about this. How absurd would it be to plant a seed and the next day come out and expect a tree with fruit on it? It'd be crazy, right? We don't expect that. Do you ever pray and expect an immediate answer from God? See, I'm convinced that, that our prayers are often like seeds. We put them in the ground. And God, in his time, causes them to grow and to bear fruit. And that brings us to this last thing that we should expect as we pray. In his time and in his way, expect God. Expect God to do great things in response to your prayers. The book of Acts is a fascinating history of the early church. And as you read story after story, you see God answer the prayers of his people in these remarkable ways. And one of the things that we see in this book is how Jesus resets the expectations of his disciples. As the book begins, as in chapter one, he calls them together and he's giving them their marching orders. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And I would imagine that at that point, the disciples are going, yeah, okay, well, we could do that. We know a lot of people here in Jerusalem. And we can tell them about you, Jesus, and the stuff that you did. But Jesus isn't finished. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And I can imagine the disciples going, whoa, whoa, that's not what we expected. What's going on here? The disciples' expectations are what? They're way too what? They're way too low. They expected that God was going to send a king for the nation of Israel, and instead God sends a king for all the nations of the world. And now Jesus invites them into this worldwide mission. And one of the most important things they can do to fulfill their part of the mission is pray. And we see that in chapter 1. If you go down to verse 14, it says this about the disciples. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now this is, this is really fascinating. Jesus' brothers, when he launched his public ministry, thought he was out of his mind. They didn't believe that he was a Messiah. They wanted him to come home. And what happens here? They're together praying. They become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent by God to rescue not just the nation of Israel, but to rescue them. And they have witnessed the power of prayer. And I think about one of Jesus' brothers, his half-brother James. We talked about James a few weeks ago. Do you remember his nickname, by the way? Does anybody remember the nickname that James had? It had to do with his knees. Camel knees, exactly. Why did he, why did he have wrinkly knees, do you think? He prayed all the time, exactly. 
So, they, hey, there's old camel knees. So here's the thing. James had seen the power of prayer. He had seen people's lives transformed. He had seen miracles done because people prayed. And so when he writes his book in the New Testament, the book of James, he includes this verse. The prayer of a righteous person is what? Powerful and effective. Now listen carefully. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest. You don't have to say anything out loud. Do you expect your prayers to be powerful and effective? Really? Do you? Do you believe that God in his time and in his way will do great things in response to your prayers? Do you believe that your prayers can be used by God to shape the outcome of future events? Because if you really do believe that, it will make a huge difference in the way that you pray. Church, I'm convinced of this, that God wants to shape our perspective about everything according to Scripture. How we see the world, how we see people, how we see our lives, and how we see prayer. And I believe that there are two things that we have to hold in tension. One is this, we need to be realistic when it comes to prayer. Listen, God doesn't call us to deny the pain and disappointment we experience in this life. This world is broken. People are broken. Dreams are broken. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. We know that God's will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven right now. And we need to embrace that and acknowledge that. We need to be realistic. But at the same time, we need to be optimistic. Because no one can stop the Lord Almighty. God is going to accomplish His purpose despite all opposition. Yesterday, I was at the Lake Worth Arts Festival where they do the um, artwork on the sidewalk. Anybody been there or going there today or was there yesterday? I mean, that's quite the event, and, and Chris and I are walking along, and, and we're looking at all the artwork, and I'm looking at all the people because it was really crowded. And I was thinking, you know, God is amazing. I mean, every single person is different, and everybody has a story. And Chris and I started talking about that, and I said, you know, honey, everybody here has a broken heart because life hasn't worked out the way they expected. And I wonder how many of them are far from God and how many of them are close to God. And so we're having this conversation and we're walking along looking at the artwork and we come to this one square and the artist is just finishing up what he's writing. And I noticed it right away. It's a Bible verse. It's from the book of Revelation. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed and he was writing the last word, away. That's where history is headed. That is the future that God has planned for his children. And we need to be the most optimistic people on the face of the earth because Jesus Christ is coming back and he's gonna make all things new. And you know what? I'd be delighted if he would come back before lunchtime today. In church, we need to pray that Jesus will come back soon. But you know what? There's a good chance he may not. Because I've been praying that for a long time. It hasn't happened yet. So how does, how does God want us to live this day? With all of our disappointments about life and ourselves in prayer, well, I think, number one, we have to adjust our expectations according to what? According to Scripture, according to the Bible. And secondly, we need to do this. Keep praying. And do not give up.
Now, where does an idea like that come from? Well, from Jesus himself. Look at this verse. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to teach them that they should always pray and never give up. We're getting ready to head into Easter, and next Sunday we're going to start a new series of messages called The Road to Easter. And I'm really excited about working on these messages. We're going to be looking at the events that took place in Jesus' life, the lives of his followers, on a weekend that changed the world. And we're going to look at Friday and, and how Jesus laid down his life and how that affected the disciples and how they were confused and how they were scared and on Saturday how they had gone into hiding and it seems like their dreams had died and then comes Sunday. A day that forever changes their lives and changes the world. And let me just, let me close with this thought. This morning it may seem like Friday in your life. It may seem like things are happening to you and to others you love that you just don't understand and you're confused. And it seems like God is not answering your prayers. Or, or maybe today it seems like Saturday. You've had these dreams about your life and dreams about the future and dreams about your kids. And those dreams are shattered. Maybe you feel like those dreams have died. And to be honest, you wonder if it's worth it to pray at all. What do you do? You keep praying. And you don't give up. Because I will tell you this, on the authority of God's word, Sunday's coming. And Jesus will keep his promise. He will make all things new. Let's pray, church. Father, I thank you that these words are faithful because you're faithful. These words are true because you are the truth. And Lord, I know that right here in this room are people who not only have been disappointed in prayer, but are probably going through that right now. Father, it's hard to wait. And Lord, sometimes we feel like the, the man who came to Jesus when the disciples couldn't heal his son and Jesus said, well, do you believe I can heal him? And he said, well, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, we need faith, not in ourselves, but in you. And I pray, Lord, that even when life is hard, even when we pray and things don't turn out the way we expected, that we would still trust you that we would still believe that you're the faithful one, the true one, who will never leave us or forsake us. And God, if there's somebody here today who realizes they've never made a decision to follow Jesus, and yet they, they've heard the truth today, I pray that they would say this to you. God, I need you. I realize I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but I want to I do that today, God. And listen, you can just say this to God in your own way, in your own words. I, I know I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and, and I want to follow him. And God, you always, always run to meet us when we pray. Thank you for your grace, God. 
I pray now, Lord, as we sing this last song that you would do this, Lord, lift up our heads, lift up our hearts, and keep our eyes on Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.